Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing artists and creatives working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, now we've talked a lot about creativity and, and being a creative and, and you know, some of the ecosystems of creativity, some of the rules, some of the things that I've learned over the years of just trying to figure out, you know, how to survive as a creative and how to feel, um, you know, great about it in today's world. And uh, we just in the last one finished up uh, talking about the ecosystem of, of inspiration and that spark and how we might need to treat ourselves to encourage that spark, to be able to have that spark more often. And so in this one, I want to talk about resources, capacity, fuel. What is the fuel that once we have that spark, once we have the oxygen in the room, if you have those two things set, you're only going to grow as far, as fast, for as long as you actually have the capacity to grow. So how do you add capacity to your life as a creative? And this is, of course, something that I've been focused a long time on. Um, at Vertex School, Game Art Institute, every place that every company I've built, every site I've built, I've been focused on this question. And it's guided almost all my decisions. How do I build capacity for creatives? And I've come to the conclusion that this is really an area of uh, my life and our life that should be guided by the realist inside of us. Trying to build skill, like if you go into a gym, do you want to find a new way to lift weights? Sure, if you want to find a new back for yourself, right? And that's essentially what we're doing when we're building capacity. It's like going to the gym and lifting weights, right? So we're not looking at learning like an entirely new thing or discovering something entirely new. That's what the visionary's there for. What we want to do is pick up a heavier weight. We can pick up a weight that is something that's within our realm of possibilities. How much weight can we pick up? Well, that's going to depend on our training schedule. That's going to depend on what we do to build the fuel to grow. And the best way that I have heard actually comes from a guy named Daniel Coyle. Uh, he wrote a book called Talent Code. And then I think he wrote another book. But basically the idea that he presents there and ultimately fleshes out in further work is the idea of deep practice. And this is in contrast to perfect practice, which is something I once heard uh, a sculptor named Richard McDonald uh, use. And the idea was, is you're supposed to practice perfectly. And that I think is a mistake because number one, you have the word perfect in there, which is dangerous when it comes to learning. The most important thing I have discovered is deep practice. And that's a very specific way of practice where you don't let yourself continue until you've kind of resolved the problem at hand. The example that he gives is of a young uh, girl learning violin who plays a piece until she encounters a problem, works through the problem until she feels like she understands it and, and can play it, starts over from the beginning and works all the way until she encounters the next problem, works through that problem, starts all the way over again with the idea of 
trying to play it fluently and reinforcing the skills, reinforcing the processes that allow you to play it fluently all the way from the beginning. I find this happens a lot in sculpting as well. Because when people are sculpting the face, they'll often get in and start just, you know, basic shape, let's get that done, and let's get to the meat and potatoes and the eyes and the nose and the lips. And next thing you know, it looks like Mr. Potato Head with these stuck-on lips, and you're like, what's wrong with my sculpt? Uh, well, what's right with your sculpt? What was your process? Oh, I just sculpted and I was just having fun. All right, well, you know, there we go. I hope you had fun. This is a creative activity, but it is also a professional activity. It is also something that has certain rules, certain codes, and it has a history and a craft that goes back thousands and thousands of years. People have been sculpting for a very long period of time. And it's not about how you feel. It's about learning the craft, which is really near and dear to my heart because, you know, I learned, I started learning to draw and paint and sculpt in California where it was all about feeling. And, you know, what did you get? Well, you got a, some gestural results that might look good. You might kind of hit the lottery with a value structure at one point and then you don't the next point. And what happens? You don't have any consistency. If you don't have any consistency, what happens next? You don't have any trust in yourself. If you don't have any trust in yourself, what happens next? You don't have any confidence. And if you don't have any confidence, where do we go from here? Really important because for me, confidence is a gift you give yourself with your practice. So what I tell my students when you're learning, let's say, for example, they're in the character art track and they're going into term two. I have a structure. I have an absolute path. I do this to the face. It must look like this. Once it looks like this, then you can progress to the next stage and do this. So you put first the four or five volumes of the face according to George Bridgman. Then you go in and you structure some of the planar elements to make sure that those are clear. Pull the nose out. Then you might go in and put the planes of the mouth in. Then you might go in and put the planes of the eye in and then you go on and you add flesh and each stage it's very clear this is what you do this is what it should look like if it doesn't look like this don't continue stop get it to this point redo it work through this because this is the step that matters this is not an area growing skill is not an area where it's like every time you want to go into the dark wood and find a brand new way to sculpt the face. Like you are going to magically discover this one way that has never been thought of in the, what, six, 7,000 years of sculpting that we have a, a track record for. That's highly unlikely. And this is the area that benefits most from training and mentoring and, and finding people who you can follow. I, I remember a, um, an interview I did with Andre Wallen, and he talked about how um, he he listened to one Dylan Cole DVD, watched one Dylan Cole DVD over and over and over for a year. He didn't learn and you didn't go to a bunch of different stuff. He didn't buy a bunch of gumroads. He didn't collect a whole bunch of stuff. He's not a hoarder of tutorials. He just got one DVD, watched it over and over again until he could learn every single thing possible. And what's amazing about that is that he treated the process of learning as a process of discovery. He wasn't expecting it to be perfect, and he wasn't expecting the teacher to tell him everything. He was looking at this individual, Dylan Cole, looking at his process, and he was discovering what made things work. 
This is one of the key lessons I learned from a guy named Al Gurry. I was sitting in drawing class. I was right behind him, and you know, me and about uh, two other dudes, we'd always follow Al to any class that he would teach. We were just like you know, enamored with him, his process, and and we felt like he had the the, the magic that we needed. And I was standing uh, behind him, watching him draw the back of a re- relatively muscular uh, dude. And I saw him in the back draw this little box around where the scapula was and then fill it in with little things. Like, all right, the, uh, you know, if you know this, then it would be the terrace major on the bottom. It would be the you know, medial border of the scapula on the you know, right side. And then you know, the deltoid would cut across this little box. But that little box was like a cheat that provided you know, this simple path for him. And I thought to myself he's a cheater. Oh my God. Al Gurry's a cheater. He's cheating. I can't believe this, right? What is going on with the universe? I thought this was magic, but it ended up being something even more magical than what I thought was magic at the time, even more important. And ultimately, I I codified this into a phrase that we say all the time at Vertex, which is that magic isn't, well, I say mastery isn't magic. It's process. Learn the process of those who are masters and you will become the master yourself. Of course, it takes time to put it into your body, but that's all part of it. You have to go through the process so mastery is not magic, it's process. There's going to be certain things that a master does that if you don't realize that, hey, putting that box in really helps you create a, the back of a, of a muscular male really, really, really fast, well, then you're going you're gonna to struggle for a while until somehow or another your body locks in and you're able to do proportions correctly. It's going to take some time. But this, this gets it in, it gets it reliable, and it's a professional path. But so often we start this journey thinking of these things as cheats, all these little things that professionals do. And we're robbing ourselves of process, process that really is going to be what we have to use anyways to be a professional. So keep your eye out for those little tidbits of process that masters do. Watch the five seconds of, you know, what they do in the beginning or what they do at the end and try to discover what's happening, right? Like Andre Wallen going into that Dylan Cole DVD, watching that over and over until he discovered like, why does he do this? Why does he do that? Treating it as a process of discovery because you're going to have to. Most creatives don't even know what they're doing on that level. It's been sublimated. So if we come back to this conversation of how do I grow skill and capacity, I want you to be thinking about deep practice, not moving forward, but making sure that you're getting each step right and making sure you know what those steps are, which really requires you to then become a detective of other people's work and really start focusing on this one simple phrase that mastery isn't magic, it's process. Discover the process and you discover the yellow brick road that's going to take you all the way to the wizard, only to discover that you are the wizard yourself. You are the one 
who can make this happen. And you don't have to wait for anybody else or any master. If I start with you, I want to kind of cap off this episode by actually reading something from a book called Free Play. And I believe this particular passage is extracted from, uh, let me see if I can find the exact placement of it, from a book, uh, Zen and the Ways by Trevor Leggett. But it's a Japanese folk story that's been transcribed and starts like this. A new flute was invented in China. A Japanese master musician discovered the subtle beauties of its tone and brought it back home, where he gave concerts all around the country. One evening, he played with a community of musicians and music lovers who lived in a certain town. At the end of the concert, his name was called. He took out the new flute and played one piece. When he was finished, there was silence in the room for a long moment. Then the voice of the oldest man was heard from the back of the room. Like a god, he said. The next day, as this master was packing to leave, the musicians approached him and asked how long it would take a skilled player to learn the new flute. Years, he said. They asked if he would take a pupil, and he agreed. After he left, they decided among themselves to send a young man, a brilliantly talented flutist, sensitive to beauty, diligent, and trustworthy. They gave him money for his living expenses and for the master's tuition and sent him on his way to the capital where the master lived. The student arrived and was accepted by the teacher who assigned him a single, simple tune. At first, he received systematic instruction, but he easily mastered all the technical problems. Now, he arrived for his daily lesson, sat down, and played his tune, and all the master could say was, something lacking. The student exerted himself in every possible way. He practiced for endless hours. Yet day after day, week after week, all the master said was, something lacking. He begged the master to change the tune. But the master said no. The daily playing, the daily something lacking continued for months on end. The student's hope of success and fear of failure became ever magnified, and he swung from agitation to despondency. Finally, the frustration became too much for him. One night, he packed his bag and slinked out. He continued to live in the capital city for some time longer until his money ran dry. He began drinking. Finally, impoverished, he drifted back to his own part of the country. Ashamed to show his face to his former colleagues, he found a hut far out in the countryside. He still possessed his flutes, still played, but he found no inspiration in music. Passing farmers heard him play and sent their children to him for beginner lessons. He lived this way for years. One morning, there was a knock at his door. It was the oldest past master from his town, along with the youngest student. They told him that tonight they were going to have a concert and they had all decided that it would not take place without him. With some effort, they overcome, overcame his feeling of fear and shame and almost in a trance, he picked up a flute and went with them. The concert began. As he waited behind the stage, no one intruded on his inner silence. Finally, at the end of the concert, his name was called. He stepped out onto the stage in his rags he looked down at his hands 
and he realized that he had chosen the new flute. Now he realized that he had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. He sat down and played the same tune he had played so many times for his teacher in the past. When he finished, there was silence for a long moment. Then the voice of the oldest man was heard speaking softly from the back of the room, like a god. And that's the end of that story. And I think of that all the time. I think of that as a teacher, as a mentor, as somebody whose job it is to unlock parts of people and how much of it might be technical and how much of it might be their journey and what role I might have to play in that. It's a fascinating story that encompasses so many nuances that, you know, I, I couldn't even go through them in a, in a hundred podcast episodes, but I want to leave you with that as we talk about creativity and we talk about mastery and, and achieving skill and achieving depth that you might be sitting here listening to this thinking that you need to learn that next, next piece of software, or you need to pick up this skill or fix this weakness when maybe just for today, you've got to let go and have nothing to gain and nothing to lose. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.